0: This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, well how rude. This is episode 54 and in this episode I sit down with Clayton LeBlanc, co-owner of Epic Brewing Company in San Diego, California. Clayton explains how it's important to trust your team to make the right decisions, how being people's livelihoods equates to success for him, and he tells me about his gateway beer into the craft beer world, a beer called Corson Dunk. Clayton said it took him eight hours to finish half of it. That's pretty interesting, considering it takes me about eight minutes to finish half a six-pack. And that's no lie, Mikey likes his brewskis. But probably not as much as you like this podcast, right? Right? A man could dream, can he? Well, it's Clayton time. So it's time to sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. Clayton LeBlanc grew up in Willamana, Connecticut. In 2001, he moved out to San Diego to figure out his life while enjoying some of the most beautiful weather you could find. He was working towards getting into grad school to become a dentist when he decided to take a job at Carl Strauss Brewing Company as a server and a bartender. While working at Karl Strauss, he not only started to learn about brewing, but he started to fall in love with the brewing industry as a whole. He figured out that being a dentist just wasn't what he wanted to do with his life, and possibly one day he would open his own brewery. In 2011, he took a job at Ballast Point Brewing Company, where he was just the 42nd employee that they hired. They started to grow so quickly that they promoted Clayton within a couple of months, to a position where he helped to brew beer. From that point, he was on his way to learning how to become a brewer. In 2015, Ballast Point sold a Constellation and Clayton started to think about his future at the brewery where he learned so much. Clayton and his co-worker brewer, Nate Stevens, started to talk about the possibility of leaving to open their own brewery. The timing seemed to be perfect when they were introduced to Todd Warsaw and Stephanie Epic through a mutual friend. Stephanie told Clayton and Nate the background of her family's history in brewing, which goes all the way back to 1866 when her great-grandfather opened Leohard Hard Epic's Germania Brewery in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn, New York. Stephanie and Todd also asked the two if they were interested in opening a brewery together. After their meeting, Clayton and Nate were ready to roll, and in 2016, the four partners opened Epic Brewing Company in San Diego, California. And Clayton LeBlanc is here with me today. Clayton, how's it going? Hey, man, how's it going? All right. During that whole process of opening your own brewery from start to finish, what do you think was the most challenging part for you?
1: Yeah, you know, any time you take, you know, any job, um, you take somebody out of being the thing they do actually really well. So I'm really passionate and truly love the act of brewing beer um some people find it monotonous uh i enjoy it i love that get in there you know move some weight around you know monitoring uh being precise i love the act of physically brewing it's like a dirty sweaty job that also is science and uh, requires a fair amount of precision and you know when you get good at it you can train other people and i always loved those aspects of brewing you know, I knew we were always turning out a good product, you know, that was capable potentially of winning awards and, and, and being credible. So I felt a lot of satisfaction in my job. Like, I knew I made a good product. We did it the best we possibly could. We were always trying to improve by adding laboratory equipment or new, better practices, always talking to other breweries about how, how can we do this better. And the I would say the biggest trick for opening a brewery is that becomes like the... Now I don't want to use the words least important, but the smallest part of, especially here in San Diego. Um, you know, there's breweries everywhere now, and there's tons of them. But in our county, we've got it's something like 150. Now they're all different sizes. They're super tiny. They're they're super big. Um, but when you get out of the gate, like it's almost expected that the the beer is should be you know award winning level brewing. Otherwise, what are you doing? Right. Right. right yeah that being a given nobody cares after that so it becomes how's your fundraising how's your organizational skills who knows how to do marketing who's really good at balancing the books and all that stuff i would say was not something i was trained in. not something that even my other partners who who actually take take the lead on some of that stuff um you know those are those are the challenging things like oh my god how do we design a tasting room, like I can kind of design a brewery. We did that and we like how it turned out, but all of a sudden you're like, yeah, a tasting room, you need some chairs, you need some tables and the walls should look nice. But obviously that's not how you build a tasting room. You need like real fine skills, architecture, things like that. And so bringing in all those kind of talents from either outside or struggling through and discovering them ourselves, for me, that was it. It's not the hours and it's not the brewing. Right. Uh, I would never, ever go back to my old job in the sense that I, I truly love what we do, but man, had I known how much the, the business part of running a business, like would, would be the major part of what we were doing. You know, you're just, we were just young <laughs> and we were just, uh, just, uh, I feel like I was 20 years younger for four years ago. <laughs>
0: right. So, so that being said, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Um, for me, you know,
1: coming from like the super anal side of brewing, right. you know, learning learning patience. You know, we're working with a team here, where I kind of was in charge of a in charge of a team before, and I kind of can make the decisions. You know, you're working with partners, and everyone's got opinions, and figuring out and the, the um, you know everyone has, you know what lane everyone's going to be in, and being respectful, and working through those really stressful times, especially coming you know two years, two and a half years into the thing. We go through COVID. We want to talk about taxing times
2: right? Uh, yeah.
1: and, and learning to like, Hey, let's all take a minute, sit down. We all want to do the best we possibly can. Um, m- m- taking that beat before you, you know, you react to something. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's get all the information on the table because clearly all we want to do is make the best beer we can and succeed in our business. And, um, learning how to do that coming from a place where, you know, no one told you what to do before, you know, it was, or much less. So right. you know, that has been, that, that, was something early on that was like, Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when you don't have a big opinion about something, this is one of the most important things when you don't have a big opinion about the shade of the drapes, let's say we don't have any drapes, but right. imagine, okay. if, if you don't care, you don't, don't get involved in that l- 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 streamline. You know, everyone doesn't have to have something to say about the color of the wood of the tables if you don't care about the color of the wood of the table. So choose your ba- – not not just choose your battles, but choose where can we make this more efficient by, hey, I'm going to focus on this. We're definitely going to get the best possible grain I can get, the best possible yeast I can. It's really important that the equipment we get is really streamlined. Uh, whether or not those tasting room signs are vertical or horizontal or on TVs like – Eh, whatever. You know, yeah, right. letting go of some of that stuff is, and letting your team do what they do well was really important.
0: Understood. Who do you think's uh, been a big inspiration for you in the beer industry?
1: You know, the, the first brewery I worked at when I was just, I started as a server and made it up to doing um, bartending and, and at the restaurant downtown, Carl Strauss. The right. famous guy, Carl Strauss, who was like the great uncle of one of the founders was this little German guy who came from Germany and was the head brewer of Past Blue Ribbon for like 50 years. And so when I worked at this restaurant, I came to be converted kind of from macro beer to the joys of craft beer. And like, hey, we can make similar styles and they can be elevated at better tasting and using better ingredients. You know, you end up with a better product. Um, it tastes better, you feel better afterwards, all, all, all those things. Well, this guy, Carl Strauss, who's had head head brewer for past blue ribbon for 50 years was the spiritual father, uh, Carl Strauss. And, and sort of like all I got, I got indoctrinated by hearing the stories of how he would go around from brewery to brewery and sort of like train kind of the first wave of craft brewers, you know, from the eighties. Um, when there was, there was kind of a, there was a pop back then. Um, and you know, I, I never, I, I only met the guy in passing like, Hey, there's, there's the grand old man. But I just always thought that was a neat character because here he was, whatever, 80, 90 years old. And when he would come to the main restaurant downtown in San Diego, uh, he was like revered, right? And right. this guy's lived his whole life. And I'm sure he's had all the challenges we have, kids, mortgages, and blah, blah, blah. But here he is. He's made it. He's 80 years old. And he is the coolest guy in the room <laughs> everywhere he goes. And That's um, awesome. Like, why would you not want to be that guy? And I knew I wasn't going to be a basketball player and I probably wasn't going to be, you know, a lawyer or something like that. And I wouldn't you much rather make beer for a living and be, and be the guy that in the room, everyone's like, yeah, that guy, that guy is responsible for all the beer we're drinking and, and all the good times that, you know, I have so many different places around the United States. I was like, yeah, that guy's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how do you actually define success?
1: That's a good question. You know, um, I, I for me, I guess I'm in my forties. I should probably have a more defined term for it, but we when when we got out, it was like that we were going to be able to pay ourselves and then, you know, pay the rent, pay the mortgage. Um, but somebody asked me a, that question of, uh, what's the coolest thing of, since you opened a brewery and I would say this kind of goes into the success part that, you know, there is a financial part where you have to like, it has to work. Um, You have to be on the the in the black side of of making money as opposed to in the red. But once I realized like two years in that we had, say, 20 something employees, uh, you know, a guy two in the brewery and then all the tasting room staff or a couple of tasting rooms um, and we were working on building a third location. Well, day to day, like that was very much the job, and you're working, and you're stressing about things. Like the fact that I realized I was like, wow, these these twenty people uh, are work here to live their lives. Right. I, and I I didn't know that that was what I was gonna like realize was um, your people your
0: people's livelihoods
1: than than like you know giving yourself a raise or something like that. You know, and it was whoa, no, I I want to help provide for all these families and it it made me think um years and years ago being from the East Coast, like the, the Yingling family um has been around for a hundred and something years and like all the people who went through there and I'd heard that story. And there's some lighter sides and darker sides to to that story, um, for the Yingling family. But just the fact I was like the grandkids can get to know people who have generationally worked through their, you know, their their operation and I was like, man, someday that would Like that Carl Strauss guy, I would love to look back and know that like families were raised through what we're doing here because it goes, it doesn't happen without them too. So it's a very much like a families were raised by us doing this work. Right. And I think, I think that is success, you know, in in like the most purest, purest, like wholesome internal sense, um, more than some bank statement or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah, you're brewing. You're literally breeding brewers, almost, so to speak.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My uh, kid told me last night that he would either like to be a uh, um, uh, professional flag footballer or a brewer like that. And I was like, cool. I know right now which one of those actually exists, so we'll we'll just keep on rocking with that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we'll we'll shoot for one of those right now. Um, How important is a mental break after everything that you have to deal with throughout the week of being... A owner and a brewer
1: well it's become more important over time everyone has their own threshold I would say you do where when you open a business and especially you know my experiences with this we did you know 100 hour weeks as all startup type people do for a year or two and then it was like 70 hour weeks and then it was you know it got a little better as we kind of were able to grow a little hire some people but you're always on call and you even lie to yourself that you're taking time off when you're still on call. You've still got the phone. You know, I'm on top of Mount Lagoon out here in San Diego and I can, I can take a phone call. Um, right. so I think we've all since then taken some amounts of time off because you'll always push yourself further than you could ever ask any of your like staff really to, 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 to push. And You don't realize you've gone too far until, you know, my significant other was like, you know, maybe you should take a little time off. Right. You're you're a little tense around the house. I was like, okay. Yeah. And so we did. In fact, I'm going out of town this weekend for the first time since kind of the COVID beginning. We've we've taken some time off, but we haven't like gone anywhere.
0: Right. Right. So um,
1: finding a place where you can you. Can free yourself from the phone and be like, oh, I literally can't take a phone call because I'm on a boat, I'm on a plane, I'm
2: in the mountains far away.
1: Right. Um, I, I think it's the way for people who are sort of super driven, you have to allow yourself to go to a place like that where it takes the option away. Because even if you're not answering the phone, that it's there makes you, is like a crutch that you can help if you need to or make a decision if you need to. And so, in a sense, you've never let go all, all ten-tenths. You've only let go, like, three-tenths or five-tenths. So, if you can get yourself to eight or nine-tenths, because you're probably still thinking about work. But uh, for me, I found it really, really important in our partners. We kind of just got to a point where, you know what? I am not coming in Saturday, Sunday. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, call me if the building's on fire, because I live, I live close by. Right. And maybe I can help. But, like, otherwise, I'm... I'm going to peace out for a little bit. And I found it really important for hanging out with my son and and the rest of my family just to sort of be present with them as present as I am with the business.
0: Right. Yeah, it's important to have a good team so that you can kind of chill back and rely on them when you don't want to be there. absolutely. And empower people to make good decisions. You know, you got to
1: train them as much as you can. And then at some point, you kind of got to let people figure it out. You know, when they screw up, or don't do things the way you like. You know, great learning moment. Now we all learn from this. No one will ever forget it.
0: Let's Move on. You know. So, they, like you had mentioned, there's 150 uh, breweries in your area, um, give or take. Uh, what do you think brings people to your place specifically? Well, we've been very fortunate
1: to have because we had experience when we got. Before we were able to open and be pretty, we had pretty good systems in place to make, you know, disappear right off the bat. Like there was no questioning where we once we write this recipe and use these to use these um, ingredients that we know about the malt we know about the yeast we know about, will uh, water that's filtered in a way that we have chosen, um, and you know the hops that we have hand chosen. Um, we knew that it should be decent, and so that helps. That right. Those initial reviews were really good, and then doing something different at a time when the industry was moving—at least in San Diego—was like it was huge on West Coast IPAs, and then moving into hazies. We were kind of coming out in a totally different direction, doing not specifically loggers, but always having between you know four or six, four or six on at a time and executing those really well when nobody else was really kind of focusing on that. So it was something to talk about, I think in a, in a town full of really big hop heads, which includes us. Like I said, I made right. all, the, all the sculpting on earth for during the sweet spot of when it was like so different than any other IPAs. Now the United States has really, really good beer everywhere. Right. So I think having that little bit of um, experience so that people's first time coming, the beer was on point you know it was really helpful so that those reviews kind of I wish they didn't matter and I don't read them anymore but um you know that kind of got us off the ground um and then and then being able to offer somebody something different because so many of us really do like all the styles of beer yeah right and nobody's representing Kolsch, alt beer dunkel Bach, you know different types of different types of light loggers everyone calls it a pilsner but there's like a whole bunch of variants there's you know, your hellas your pilsners we make this my favorite beer is our fest beer that's on right now that visa style metal october fest beer that you would have if you're in germany right um you know being able to a, a baltic porter which is is a really wonderful style as well as already knowing how to kind of do the styles are more expected. You know, your, what, your, your East Coast, your West Coast IPAs, pale ales. Um, we do some sour stuff as well. Big, big stouts. Um, we tend to keep our adjuncts really low. So we do have some beer that has, we have a Berliner Weiss that has raspberry and cherry in it. But we feel that that is style and appropriate. And we tend to keep a lot of vanilla and coconut and peppers. We, we kind of did that at our old job. And so we really seek for precision in the styles that we make that are kind of like more representative of classic styles with, with maybe a little bit of a San Diego twist is is kind of how we do things. Right. And I think that's let us find our niche.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I like this question a lot. I'm curious of yours. Uh, what was your gateway beer into the craft world?
1: There's a beer called Corzendonk um, from Belgium. Okay. I believe it's from Belgium. And I had a... Resident assistant at Clemson University, who I think when I turned 20 or 21, gifted it to me. Like a, a, you gave a kid who just drank like Millilite and uh, didn't know any better. And one night he was like, You have to finish this bottle. And it took me, you know, eight hours to finish half of it. And <laughs> it was, But I never forgot it. And it was this big kind of I won't say boozy, but rich flavored beer with like a lot of esters in it. You know, there was banana and kind of plum and raisin and date and all these flavors that I didn't know could be associated with beer. Right. And that was like outside of maybe like a Shinerbach or a Guinness, the first time I had anything that was outside of, you know, American white lager. Right. Um, Which which I didn't like. It took me forever to get into beer when I was a younger person, even before I should have been enjoying it.
0: Yeah, Um, same. Same here, here, you know? Yeah, it was
1: definitely, when when I could get it, I was more of like a rum and coke guy. Why? Because it tastes like vanilla and coke. You know, these are Captain Morgan and coke.
0: Captain Morgan and ginger and stuff like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that was sort of my first transition, and then there was sort of a, a low until I started working at that brewery in downtown, where I just had always been a server, so I was able to land a job at a place that I heard was good. And they kind of like taught me about beer and you know i'm still doing some of the light beer stuff and then also bringing home beer from the brewery and um more and more it was beer from the brewery and i think i went through the most progression at carl strauss where i started with uh they had beer called they have a famous beer called red trolley it's a, a big red ale and that's really smooth and easy to drink and low on hops and then i I tried the half of ice they had, and I was like, okay, banana and smooth, and I really liked that, which is funny because I don't I don't lean towards these styles anymore. But and then I climbed the ladder up to their their IPA eventually, and some of their big barrel age stuff, and it was like, I kind of went through the whole the whole progression right. learning to, to sell that stuff when I was a server, and uh, it's probably like the best beer
0: education you could get um, and, while it paid me, you know, right. What do you think's next for your brewery? What does the future look like for Epic?
1: Well, you know, it's been a, a weird year and a half. And um, thankfully, I think we're coming out of it as, you know, you, you got some battle scars, but like stronger. You know, we we were able to do some pivoting to to doing more canning offerings and have since been able to kind of hold on to that market. And so, hey, the the more the more you can expose your beers out to the world, the more people are going to buy them and that helps us grow. So we've already been ordering more equipment to make more beer and hiring some more staff to help sell that beer. So I'm hoping we can get another location going. Um, we've got this great one here in Vista, California, which is like North Northeast San Diego kind of by like Carl's And then we've got one right down on the Harbor in, in San Diego and point Loma. So you know, being able to share our beer with people throughout the county and then maybe grow into some of the other counties uh, of, of Southern California to, to kind of share what we're doing and then be able to consistently support that sale. That's that's what we kind of want to do. Right. Um, you know, And maybe a brew pub down the road. The, the one trick about building your big dream brewery is realizing that we moved out of our tiny brewery and into a bigger brewery, but we didn't take the tiny brewery with us. And now I want to make small batches of different stuff. So we're going to have to at some point bring that back into the fold of, of getting either a small brew house or a brew pub somewhere where we can like really get back to our roots of doing research and development, which is what Nate had done while he was at Palace Point and kind of like giving ourselves a chance to, to try things that may or may not work, you know, right. and
2: yeah. that's the only way you
1: can really grow. We've just taken all our knowledge and, and like perform precision brewing here. And I want to get back to like, all right, let's try some weird stuff. Let's try or weird for us, which is like moving things a decimal point, but
2: right, um, right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. so that's what I'm, I'm hoping that's in the next, you know, year or two, whatever, you know, we're all, we're obviously always looking at it um, going down the road. That's what we're. I would like to see.
0: Yeah, very cool. And if somebody came to you and asked you for advice on opening their own brewery, what would you tell them?
1: I would. I'd probably ask them some questions about their backstory and stuff. Then. And I can only talk from like a brewer who opened a brewery. I wasn't like an accountant first, right? Um, so some amount of well-fundedness is always a good choice. We were not well-funded, but we were. We had a unique program in San Diego where somebody had built a brewery and offered to lease it to us. So maybe it wasn't exactly our design, but I didn't have to outlay like a million and a half dollars for like a tiny little brewery.
2: Right. Um, okay.
1: So we sort of got freed from that upfront having to have a couple million bucks. But let's just say you're well funded, fully vet your team, and that is more than just getting together and having a couple beers. And um, you basically can't plan enough. You can't be flexible enough after after things kind of happen, and there's no black and white to when is it time to stick with the plan and push past where it feels uncomfortable, and but just know that like that's a thing. So being well funded, being well planned, and, and having a really solid team that you trust—you know, trust is a huge word. When when uh, our partners trusted us to get on the brew house the first day and and go, and, and you know if, if you wouldn't. Trust somebody with your life savings. Find somebody that maybe you would. Right. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. definitely because that's essentially what this was, right? You know, I put all the put all the dollars I, I had, which was not many, yeah, uh, <laughs> to buy in a crappy van and ingredients and and you know, hand trucks and a keg washer, and it was go time. So take all that. There's enough uh, uncertainty. Sorry, there's enough uncertainty when you go out to do this. And you, know, you got to eliminate as much as you can, but don't let it paralyze you.
0: Gotcha. So did you happen, happen to have a funny story for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of uh, hijinks that take place in a in a brewery, especially a fast-growing one, like an old job. I'm sure. This point. I'm sure. I, I think one of the funniest stories, now that we have Epic open, is kind of <laughs> ha- how the chips fall. So... Not only do I do brewing, but I'm sort of in charge of sales, right? We're pretty small. And um, when we got open, we we're like, okay, we got to make a West Coast IPA. So we had this idea, and Nate and I sat down. He wrote a recipe. We talked about it, and I was like, great. Contemporary West Coast IPA. It's got a touch of color to it, uh, but really kind of orangey and uh, grapefruit zesty. I was an like, easy drinker all day long. He's like, I want to call it 1045 to Denver. And I was like, that is the worst name. I have ever heard. And the backstory on that is when we were at Ballast Point, we put a beer called Piper Down. That beer went to great American beer festival and won a silver medal, which in 2012, 13, like that was a really big deal. Right, and it's right. still a big deal to this day. You know, where you can hang your, your business's hat on some, winning some of those awards. It can really help you for sales and things like that. So I'm on the brew house in Scripps Ranch in San Diego. He's in Denver. Denver is. A great place to get into trouble, especially when the owners of Ballast Point were there. They they went out, and they partied, and they all had a great time. And at the time, wacky tobacco brownies were legal in Denver, but okay. not here. And so <laughs> people really like put the wood to it and uh, enjoyed the cannabis available to them, right. as well as all the beer available to them. And they partied really hard. On the next day, they're all taking like that long drive. If you've ever been to Denver, out to the airport, it's like 30 miles outside of town. And one of the guys in the car uh, turns to some of the fellows in the back and goes, yeah, it's quarter to 11. Like, you know, we got to hurry up, get to the airport, whatever. The driver's like, hey, man, who are you talking to? He's like, oh, they just asked me what time it was. And they all looked in the mirror and looked behind him. And all the guys were passed out. So the guy was hearing things. And he just put his hands in his head and was like, oh, my God. He's like, get me home. I, I just want to go home. And this is the highest ranking person in the car. So it's kind of funny that the, the manager guy is the one who's in trouble. And... From that day on, the the kind of code around our work was like, hey, man, how was your weekend? And if you had taken it too far, it was like, oh, it's kind of quarter to 11, right. you know, quarter to 11 all weekend long. just means you put the wood to it a little too hard. Right,
2: right, right. So, so that's funny that
1: that all occurred. I was not present. And now we have a brewery together and i partners with my friend Nate who was in the car that day. And I have to tell this story to every single person who drinks our best-selling
0: IPA. Right. And I wasn't even part of the. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even
1: part of the story. But well, it's a great I'm, story. Yeah. Um, I've, I, we've done our best. We've had some luck at Great American Beer Festival. And uh, I remember the first year we won a medal. I went out and created my own story with him. We, we went out and we put the wood to it ourselves. And I was like, no, nah, I don't have to think about that story. Except... Every time someone goes, hey, man, why you call that beer 1045 to Denver? And I go, well, let me tell
2: you a story. <laughs> well, now
0: you know. That's a great great story, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have a, a little segment called Quick Fire 5, five quick questions, beer-related. Ready?
1: Yeah, let's
0: do it. Okay. Somebody walks into your brewery right now, what's one of the beers you'd recommend they try?
1: Fest beer, number one. Fest Gotta beer. Got to do it. It's, it's October fest season, and that's like my favorite beer that we make almost year-round and and it's appropriate for this part of the year
0: gotcha uh favorite brewery other than your own
1: oh good question uh we've got some awesome ones in san diego but i'll say there's one in germany that i really like called uh schlenkerla or achschlenkerla they're in bamberg and they make a lot of really smoky beers which is kind of this weird niche. Basically, your beer tastes like barbecue. Some people get grossed out by that. I love it. So <laughs> I'd say that's one of my favorite breweries, but there's so many out there.
0: Yeah, that smoky, that smoky flavor is uh, It's very unique. It's very, uh, I don't know. You have to really uh, be cool. into it, you know?
1: It's, it's polarizing, for sure. Yes. Just, uh, uh, yeah, some, you know, somewhere, hey, my parents fed me some seafood as a kid, and it turns out a little kid likes oysters. You, you know, you can't get my kid to try that stuff to- to save his life. So who knows?
0: Right. Uh, favorite style of beer?
1: We make so many lagers and I've been so focused on it for a long time. I I just really get kind of get off on making a really, really clean lager beer that hasn't that has nowhere to hide in it. So one of the things I like about the lighter styles, even, you know, Colch and Colch Hells Pilsner Fest beer, um, your lighter you know, Martins and Dunkles and things is that there's very, very few places to hide once right. that beer is finished and you're serving it to your customers. So the geeky part of me that loves making beer loves it when you, it's like making an awesome three point shot like with the timer, with the, the buzzer coming down, Right. you know, that you really, when you release it out of your finger and you know, it's going in and, you nail a beer that they have a similar feeling to me the first time you pour it and you drink it so that's the beer i really like when we brew i wish we could do it faster because it takes a long time it does
0: yeah 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 uh last beer you drank that blew you away
1: there's a brewery in san diego that's pretty popular called l they're one of kind of like the og yes bigger bigger you know craft breweries um there's a great team over there that's brewing beer they work on like a beautiful brew system that's from germany they make a barrel aged stout called speedway well they make a stout called Mm. speedway stout yes then they barrel age that in all kinds of different things and a friend of mine opened one at dinner the other night that i've I've had before but every time i have it i'm always amazed how good vietnamese coffee speedway stout is so if you can get it it's a good one
0: i think i might have tried that when i was there man they they have some amazing uh Variations of this be waste out. It's just, it's just by itself is just a great stout. Um, but yeah,
1: phenomenal. If you like the the really, it it steps up into that kind of like viscousy motor oily. Yes. feeling which which i really enjoy for dessert and kind of on the side by itself it's not something i want to drink pints of it's not something i want to have with dinner but like with a group of friends sharing four six ounce tasters that beer is just really special
0: it's almost like a meal in itself yes Uh, (laughs) for sure uh and you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine what beer are you choosing two kegs of fest beer two kegs of fest beer all right, Clayton, <laughs> Clayton. Thank you very much. That's all That's all I got for you, man.
1: Okay. Hey, well, thanks. It was good talking to you. Good to meet you. Thanks for coming by. I hope you had a good time checking out beer in San Diego.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast, here with Clayton LeBlanc of Epic Brewing in San Diego, California. Thanks, man. You bet. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Clayton LeBlanc, co-owner of Epic Brewing Company in San Diego, California. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Also, give him a follow on social media. Every other Sunday I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe and you'll never miss one. Also, be sure to check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast. You stay safe out there.